Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast where two licensed professional counselors and approved EMDR consultants discuss the latest research and resources for trauma treatment and EMDR therapy. Welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We're here today with me, Jen, and Bridger, and we're going to be talking about a topic that I can't say we're excited about it, but I think it's incredibly relevant to this particular moment, um, and hopefully it's helpful as you guys are navigating things with your clients um, and in your own lives. But before we get to all of that, we want to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Katherine Keller. Um, You guys have heard us talk about her several times, and she is a, a marketing manager and many other things and has been such an asset to us. Um, in our work and in our business development. And we want to let you know that Catherine is actually offering a free class. Um, She does a deep dive into the foundation of why marketing and managing your private practice can feel overwhelming. And she also talks about how COVID-19 is adding even more to the stress of building practices. She breaks down the five steps you need in order to gain clarity and regain excitement about building your practice and marketing yourself in an authentic way during this time of transition that we're all in together. And the website to find that class is www.katherinekeller.net slash EMDR. And that's a free class to help you guys navigate all the transitions that we're going through right now in our private practice businesses. So please check out that free resource. Okay, so now we're going to dive into our topic for the day, and we have titled this Shameless because we're going to be talking all about shame and how much we are swimming in it right now. Um, And particularly after we released our last episode when we were talking about the uh, cultural issues that are going on and the struggles against racism in our communities, We wanted to visit this because it's become really, really relevant as we all grapple with how do we produce long-lasting change, both in ourselves and in the people around us that we're having conversations with. And I wanted to share that I think over the last week or so, I've had multiple sessions with people where we're all processing this, right? And clients are coming in and they're talking about the shame that they feel around recognizing their own systemic racism. I don't think they've used that phrase, but (laughs) that's what I would call it. Uh, Recognizing their own struggles with racism. Um, I've had lots of conversations with parents about how to talk to their kids about this um, and how to motivate change and just our, our general tendency towards using shame to try to motivate ourselves and other people to make this big cultural shift that we all need to make. And I've experienced from a lot of people and in myself this sort of back and forth struggle of, wait a second isn't shame how we got into this mess, right? And if we're going to continue to use the same tools for change that we've been using the whole time, we can reliably predict that we're going to end up in a same situation or a very similar situation uh, down the road, and we're not going to have long-lasting change. We actually have a lot of research at this point about how ineffective shame is as a real change agent for people in the long haul. Um, For those of you that know Brene Brene Brown, which hopefully it's all of you, she is a personal hero, of course, and, you know, she calls herself a shame researcher. And there is a quote from her that has just stuck with me forever, and she calls shame a knife in the back. It will motivate you and get you moving very quickly and very um, strongly for a very short amount of time, and then you lay down and die. 
And I really believe that that is what happens when we use shame as a motivational tool. And our culture has been using shame as the main motivational tool maybe forever. Since what do you guys think about that? Yeah. Yeah, since the beginning. <laughs> yeah. As strong as that sounds, I think it's accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think definitely within, just from a, a, social, a social perspective, a sociological perspective, I think that um, in any system where uh, it's based on inequality, uh, shame is the primary uh, gate between the upper, middle, and lower. And mm-hmm. I think that that is something really important to recognize, that right. even though you may be wanting to have compassion, um, there's also a deeply ingrained piece inside of you that is shame-based. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not something we choose. It's kind of just given to us. Right. Um, definitely here in the U.S., for sure. Right. Well, I think we can see it happening on a on a cultural level, but then all the way down to what's happening within our own families or Mm -hmm. within our own system, like Mm -hmm. feeling shameful and shaming ourselves for our past experiences or um, even present experiences. Mm -hmm. And so that we utilize shame to motivate other people to even try to motivate ourselves into creating some form of change, but we can see now that it's not effective and it's not long lasting. Right, right. And I would actually say that you know, not just being ineffective, it's also detrimental yeah. to yeah. our goal. It's counterproductive. It is counterproductive. That's a good word for it. When someone is met with shame, when they're, you know, sharing something or in discussion with someone, and shame is used in that moment as a tactic against them, the most common result of that is an increase in defensiveness. And that is the spiral that a lot of us get into when we're trying to have these hard conversations is, you know, I share my opinion, they share their opinion, and now one or maybe both of us moves into shaming the other for that held opinion. And the minute that we start doing that, that's when the defensiveness is increased and the, the possibility of that conversation being productive and definitely the possibility of someone actually shifting their mindset and their heart set in that situation um, drops drastically the minute that shame enters that picture. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah, totally. I think um, just the neurobiology of shame, that's another, uh, you know, you mentioned Brene Brown, but another, mm-hmm. uh, Dan Siegel and uh, Kurt Thompson have done a lot of this in the interpersonal neurobiology realm. And uh, one thing that they talk about in, in shaming um, of what it does to a person neurophysiologically mm-hmm. is it just the tone of voice that, that is assigned to a shame statement and then the implications of it posturally it actually sends the person, it, it takes them out of uh, social connectivity. Right. They're not, you know, just that statement and posture takes it out of... In oh, other words, they cannot hear you. They're not like, hearing you. Like, they literally yeah. are not able to hear you in the way that you want They're to hearing hear. critique, yes. which is reacted to, you know, its defense mm-hmm. then. Well, I have to justify or... Uh, Attack. The, yeah, and that autonomic <laughs> yes. response comes mm-hmm. out of, yeah. you know, I'm going to fight, flight, or, you know, right. shift down into dorsal vagal. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so I think, you know, the big question is if we're all in agreement that shame is not the best tool for the job when it comes to reshaping behavioral patterns for the long run, then the the main question is, well, what do we do instead, right? Because we need to be having these conversations. We need to be finding ways to motivate both ourselves and others to stay engaged with this over the long haul. So instead of utilizing shame either with ourselves um, or with other people, 
uh, we want to talk about some options that we think work a lot better. So I'm interested to hear from you guys, like when you've been having talks with people about this, like what do you find yourself gravitating towards to try to increase motivation without bringing in that shame? Well, one thing I want to even just enter in here is this all applies so much to our current state and um, this cultural movement. But if you think about what the clients you work with, this applies to every aspect of their lives. Mm -hmm. It applies to couples therapy. And when a couple comes to see you and you're looking at how they communicate with one another, it applies to the self-talk and try to motivate them, trying to motivate themselves to make internal changes. Mm -hmm. So as we're talking about those options of how we respond instead of from a shame place, we really want to be looking at it from a broad perspective of um, how could this apply into all aspects of their life and then really specifically looking at how do we use this for this cultural change and the movement that we're currently in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one thing, Melissa, when you were talking about we need something else, mm-hmm. that to me, you know, for me personally, it, it's a daunting task because, I mean, it could, it is all of my education and life experience of well, that just seems like such a big ask. Mm-hmm. You're talking about, you know, essentially throwing out the main motivator that I was raised with. Yeah. For most of us. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I don't want to speak for other people, so I'm mm-hmm. just saying for me it feels daunting yes. even just to think about, okay, I need to remember small steps mm-hmm. and I need to remember grace and compassion for myself in it mm-hmm. because it's not it's against the grain for sure. Right. You, know, you work on that with a client in the room and then they have to go back out right. into a place where that is not, you know, the world didn't get the treatment that they just got. Yeah. So yeah, yeah it's that, that's a really thing, important thing to keep in mind, I think. Yeah. And then it will oftentimes be our instinctual response mm-hmm. to move into a place of shaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're there before we even recognize it. So how do we know when that's coming up? And I think for myself is when I feel my body react in a certain way, that's when I know I'm in that place when yeah. I'm not, I, I'm thinking of parenting my kids right now. Right. Mm. They do something and I hear these words come out in a certain tone or have a posture as you had men- mentioned Bridger or internally I feel a certain way and I have to think, this is really not about what they just did. This yeah. is about what I'm experiencing. I'm activated. Mm-hmm. And, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to come out with shame behind it or trying to shame them to change what they're doing. Like right. drop a glass on the floor. What are you doing? Yeah. You know, that's shame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do mm-hmm. I shift that back and actually ask probably from a more curious yeah. place. What happened hey, there? Yeah. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And how can I help you with this? Yeah. It looks like you're struggling. Yeah. Um, I bet that was really hard to drop yes. that glass and really scary. And yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. And if we look at, we can communicate with adults in that same, yeah. same manner, like not the, the harsh judgments that are formed like a question that we really have no interest in the actual answer, but how do we approach it with true questions of mm-hmm. what are you thinking on this? How is this affecting you? Mm-hmm. What is your perception of all What are this? you afraid of? Yeah. Oh, that's a great yeah. one. I, yeah. I, think, I think that the number one sort of underlying foundation when people move into shame as an attempt to motivate and this is with ourselves or other people, is that there is a foundational fear that we are not addressing for whatever reason. And 
uh, for most people, we weren't taught how to ask that next question for ourselves. And so we don't think about how to ask that next question for other people as well. We stop at that, you know, top layer of behavior without ever really digging into what's going on underneath that. And so I think when we're having these conversations and thinking about it for ourselves, that's one of the first things we can do is let ourselves go one layer deeper, maybe even two or three layers deeper, because this is such a complex issue. And usually what we find down there is really basic fear, Mm -hmm. fear of change, fear of loss of control, fear of judgment. I think admitting that can be really hard, um, and I'd be really interested to hear your perspective as women but definitely in working with men um, and as a man there is that you need to be strong Mm -hmm. even in the face of you know an un uh, unaccomplishable task so even if you are afraid Mm -hmm. that really needs to kind of be put aside right and so the shame narrative of that is you don't get to be afraid right because you have to be be strong and then you're weak yeah. So when you say, what are you afraid of? Immediate response. Mm. Up the wall goes, I'm not afraid. Mm-hmm. Like that question is actually a most shaming question. Yes. So even posturing that is really interesting. Yeah. And to me, like, because we're good friends, mm-hmm. you asking me what I'm, what I'm afraid of, I hear that as a really sweet gesture mm-hmm. and something that I want to come close to you in. But if I don't know you, what are you afraid of? Mm-hmm. Are you saying that? I'm weak. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like even as somebody who has done a lot of work on my gender identity, right? I still hear that little scratch of right. that person's calling you weak. Right. That's really interesting. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. What are you thinking? I'm just thinking the the main difference in the way I heard you say it was well, one there was the relationship between you and Melissa, but there is a tone. Yeah. In how that same question is asked. Yeah. And you guys can't see the posture, like the literal posture of his body, but there is a change in yeah. that. Even, or sorry. Yeah, we just can't underestimate the power. Yeah. And and that requires us to check in with ourselves when we're having yes. these conversations. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, we're trying to shift people from motivating through shame. Um, it might accidentally slip in that That's we're right. motivating them by shaming in yes. that yes. same way. And so... Yeah to really be aware of like what do I feel on this topic when I ask those questions yeah. mm-hmm. and when I like pursue more about their experience mm-hmm. in that yeah. having that like, and even in that I think Melissa you could say it the exact same way like mm-hmm. the exact same warmth and intention mm-hmm. and it could come across a totally different way and so for therapists be mindful that their reaction may not be to your question. Right. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it may be to that cultural shame. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've sat across from men talking about, uh, I've never asked a man, what are you afraid of exactly? Uh, But I've, um, talking about failure. Mm -hmm. That is like a weird oscillation. If you do good work with them and they're able to hear you for what you're actually saying, there's still that like, ah, you know, they're Mm -hmm. like fighting. Mm -hmm. I'm, I don't fail, you know, like they're, they're having like, I cannot accept that. Yeah. I can't do it. Yeah. Like there's that weird, um, I've been told my whole life I can't say this, right? but it's actually causing all of my pain. Mm -hmm. Um, so even just being ready for that activation in the room, when you say, what are you afraid of? And that wall comes up, take a moment there to pause and say like, what just happened there? Mm -hmm. It, It felt like you turned away from me in that moment because I was asking you an empathic question 
I'm trying to understand. But you met me with a, a hostile response, mm-hmm. as if I were attacking you, and I'm not, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, a, just a real-life example of this, we had a birthday dinner for my dad last night, and we're sitting at the table, and my sister is talking to my parents, and they have some differing like perspectives on everything not not major differences but slight differences and they're talking about them and I was just kind of sitting back observing because that's what I do and (laughs) (laughs) just saw these moments of it was literally like someone just throwing a ball at a brick wall and Mm -hmm. bouncing right back at them and then the other side throwing a ball at a brick wall and it's because of the tone and the energy that was amongst them as they're having this, and no one asked the other person a single question. Mm-hmm. It was all statement, Telling. statement, 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 yeah. statement, rebuttal, rebuttal, rebuttal. Like it was no questions were asked. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was so fascinating. And it, you know, there was a point where it, it turned and there was more listening that was happening. But um, you could just see, and it wasn't a strong or you know hateful conversation by any means, but you could just see it happening. And I was wondering how much is actually being absorbed on either side of this, yes. mm-hmm. um, because the other person already has their stance right. and they're standing really strong yeah. because they don't want to be pushed down. Yeah, because if you were to ask, you know, it, it, let's say that conversation didn't take that turn. If you were to ask them the next day, what was that conversation about? Oh, they were saying something, mm-hmm. you know, like it would be, you could almost hear what that would sound mm-hmm. like. No, but what did they actually say? I don't know. <laughs> you know, like, they would have heard what their internal yeah, system was saying, right. or what their and words what they were already preparing for. Against. Mm-hmm. That's what they would hear. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. then tell to you. Yeah. yeah, and so I think in a moment where you know we're talking about family dynamics, but when we're talking about racially charged issues, it's it's like this this conversation to the nth degree. Right. Yep. These implications are now about life and death, mm-hmm. um, on every side. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not sure where, where that takes you. Um, I've just been, you know, thinking about lots of conversations that I've had with clients about their shame around their fatigue mm-hmm. and this feeling of, you know, I've been doing, I've been on social media, I've been trying to follow all the stories and do everything I know to do, and I am so tired and devastated and you know I'm crying every day and at the same time holding the reality of what a privilege it is that it's even an option for them to take a step back from it yeah. and feeling that shame of if they do take a step back from it then what does that mean about them and just trying to navigate like what amount of intensity can we run this race with and still be a, a help to it without decimating ourselves in the meantime. And you know, I think a lot of people are struggling with that, but there's a lot of shame that we put on ourselves about that piece of it. And so, you know, I just kind of wanted to bring that up as this is like a a cultural everybody's feeling shame around this yeah. at the same time, which means that we are extra sensitized. Um, to any comments, to anything that might suggest that we should feel badly. And different people take different strategies when that button gets pushed. Some people go deeper into shame and move into despair. Despair leads to inaction, which is not what we want. Other people get aggressive and defensive and leads to disengagement. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will also not move towards the goal. So, you know, I think like the, the main thing that we're wanting to get at is in any moment that you feel that urge to utilize shame, try to reach for something else. 
um, because no matter where you are, shame is not going to get you where you want to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and something what you were just saying reminded me back to when we were talking about a performance-based culture. That is not based on effort. It's based mm-hmm. on accomplishment. Right. If that's the case, then your self-appraisal in this moment of doing all that you think you need to do and, and making all these efforts and following all the right pages and talking to the right people and, and checking your own bias, mm-hmm. if that doesn't result in something material, something tangible, you then shame yourself. Right. And there's, that's what you're saying, that fatigue yes. response is. Yes. That You need to have an awareness of that because mm-hmm. that is not... Effort is the goal here. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what in anything in the way of trying... Mm-hmm. that's the work. Right. You know, you, you can't have the standard for yourself, or I can't have a standard for myself, of until things are codified into law, I have not done enough. Right. That right. can't be your only appraisal of yourself. Right. That uh, is one appraisal yes, that is that appropriate. Yes, that you should have. Yes. And you should, that should be a commitment. Yeah. But it should not be a, if this doesn't happen, then I am bad. Mm-hmm. It can't be then interpreted with a shame response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, looking at that idea of how do we evaluate ourselves in this situation on a moment to moment basis, I think the really effective but simple analogy of marathon versus sprint gets really relevant here. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way that you run a marathon is totally different than the Mm -hmm. approach that you take with something short and intense. Um, And there's a lot of people that are running this at a sprint type space. A marathon length race at a sprint pace. And and it's not that we shouldn't do that because the cause is not worth that amount Mm -hmm. of intensity. That is not the point. The point is, is that it is more important that we stay with it for as long as is necessary to get all the way to that goal of things actually being... Um, in the law and protections being validated at every level that they can be. And in order to do that, if we have to slow down so that we don't flame out a quarter of the way through, that is a more worthwhile measurement of success than my momentary right off the the starting line intensity. Like that, that is a measure of literally nothing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and endurance there, echoing back to our first podcast on this, endurance is the is the mediating factor here. Right. If this movement doesn't have endurance, it will end in right. uh, shame label. That's yes. that these were yeah. whatever they were, you know. Uh, and it diminishes the the possibility of it being a yeah. stepping stone to the next step. Exactly. Right? right. If we all decide that, well, this failed. There's no point. Why did we no bother protesting? Happened. Why did we bother doing this? Why did we bother with all of that social media posting? Why did I bother reading all of that stuff? Because nothing really changed. If we move into despair, then this will absolutely move in that in the direction of being a pointless. And thing. you have to know that that is absolutely what the majority culture would have. Yes. They would say, yep, told you. Right, because the exactly majority right. the majority culture is still very attached to shame being a appropriate way of managing An oppressing society. agent. Yes. Yes, exactly right. And I think that narrative is going to be coming at you. Mm-hmm. People are going to be saying that. Look mm-hmm. at how little changed. Right. And then you're thinking, well, I tried the best that I could. I thought. right. right. Did I not do enough? And that's when that line of thinking starts. And they're going to encourage that. Right. No, you didn't do enough. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that the majority culture utilizing shame gets met with a minority culture almost re- re- 
repeating that in some way or reflecting mm-hmm. that as a way to try to stay safe and right. empower yeah, and right. not be vulnerable in that. Um, and so there may be, you know, individuals in the majority culture who look at that and say, but I feel like I'm getting shamed. It doesn't yeah. matter what I say. It doesn't matter the, what and I that's, do. I'm that's doing true. it wrong. Yeah. Right. And so that's people on all ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. are feeling that and responding back with it. And if we could all like mm-hmm. slow down a minute, right. have compassion, and ask for questions, yeah, right. yeah. feel the compassion for ourselves right. and, and for the others, other person, yeah. mm-hmm. and try to learn and understand more, right. we'd be in a very different place. So I think one point that feels really important to me is to give everybody and ourselves permission to unhook from the idea of who is deserving of not being shamed, because if we get into that question in our mind, it's just. Like, that won't take us anywhere Can you say more good. about that? Because I, I think I know where you're going with it, but I want to hear more about deserving shame. Right. So I'll just be personally honest. I'm pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot of intense personal feeling um, about a lot of what is going on. And it is very easy for me to think, no, there, there are people that deserve shame. Like, mm-hmm. I would say it to their face and walk away happy to have done so. Mm-hmm. But... I have to check that in myself and say, yeah, they might deserve it. But if I am actually more motivated to create lasting change than I am to have my momentary moment of, aha, I have said what I wanted to say and I feel justified in being this angry. And I hope it hurt you. And I hope it hurt you, right? You deserve to feel that pain right now, right? If I prioritize that moment of, you know, excitement for myself. Selfishness. Oh, yeah, selfishness overlasting change then I have completely missed the point and once again made it about myself and not yes. about the real purpose yeah. so Such if a good point. yeah mm-hmm. if if I unhook from this idea of who deserves it and who doesn't and stay totally focused on what are effective tools of change then suddenly when we're in conversations with people we don't have to worry about how angry we are. We don't get rid of your anger. I'm all for it. Please keep it. It's very Pointed. motivating. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but remember that the expression of anger um, does not have to be shame. And that is what we're all programmed to do on every side of this situation. Everybody is programmed to express their Hardwired. anger through shame. Yep. And that is what we are trying to reshape in ourselves. And that has to start with, number one, the way that we talk to ourselves about it. And number two, when we're in intimate conversations or on social media, whatever your platform is, <laughs> um, wherever you express yourself, when you feel your anger rise up, reaching for something besides shame to express that is going to get us towards our goal, whatever your goal is in this situation. And so we don't have to engage with who is deserving and who is not deserving. That's right. And I think what keeps coming to my mind as you're talking is, in mindfulness practice or self-compassion or um, even just some forms of yoga talk about uh, common humanity. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that is a really important point here of these pains are felt across humanity. Mm -hmm. Connecting with that is the way that we're going to get get around shame because it's an us problem. It always has been. Mm -hmm. And from that place, then shame literally does not belong here Mm -hmm. it's about us Mm -hmm. um you know that that us them distinction being so important to note but 
you're you're halfway saying this, and I just want to make it yeah. explicit. So the antidote to shame is connection. That's absolutely right. And so if we start with connection, we buffer that whole conversation yes. from shame entering it. Yes, and this isn't this isn't recognizing you know uh, separate but equal. This right. isn't sameness. Where there's right. no difference. There are, and they're beautiful. Right. But it's it's those differences that together make yeah. us human. Right. Yeah. And and I think this leads like right into that big question of well, what do we do instead. And one of the first steps is to always, always be looking for the points of connection when we're talking to someone and it's challenging. Um, if we have, if we shift our radar, um, you know, Jen, you were talking about that story of like always looking for what I can refute and rebut in a conversation. <laughs> like that's usually where our radar is. Mm-hmm. It's like, where can I slip in my jabbing point right here and really drive it home? Normally that's what our radar is doing in a conflicted conversation. But if we shift that radar and say, look for points of connection. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, no matter how small, no matter how maybe unattached to this particular situation, the more we can highlight commonality yes. and similarity. I just had an incredibly interesting conversation with my mother about religion. There's not a lot of commonality, but we found some things. And Ooh, it was it was that that was the the meat of it because... By the end of it, there was this lovely feeling of we are more similar than we are different. And our differences do not have to supersede all of those similarities. Um, So I think that's a great place to start as far as what do we do instead, is let our radar be constantly scanning for those connection points. And to know, and even the most opposite of people... I mean, genetically, like even if we go down to that level, there will will be something. There (laughs) there are more similarities amongst us than differences. Yeah. Like way more similarities. Do you have blood in your veins? Me too. Exactly. Does your heart beat? Mine too. Yeah. Do you burn when the sun's out? (laughs) So do I. Well, I definitely do. Yeah. (laughs) And so really just trying to like, as, as... Low as you like, not low, but as as simple as you have to go to to make that connection starting there and then build from that point on. Right. I think a really like this sounds so simple, but I think it does make a significant difference. And if we look at what we do naturally as human beings, there is so much wisdom in this. Before you do anything, offer that person a drink, Hmm. right? Like, be drinking the same thing, Mm -hmm. maybe. And highlight the fact, you like coffee? I like coffee. I, you know, like this coffee plate. Like, whatever. I, yeah. and like, that simple. But having something that is tangible and representative of the similarities right in front of you. I th- Yes, yeah. connection. And I think the whole concept of sharing a meal, you know, oh, sharing a drink. All of that is something that we as humans do really naturally. So actually considering the set and setting of these conversations... Um, my mother and I in, con- in that conversation were both drinking peppermint tea and we talked a lot about that tea and I was grateful for it because <laughs> <laughs> it was warm and soothing in the midst of Good. you know some tense moments. Um, and so I think as simple as that, it can be really helpful. What if you're trying to have a conversation with someone you're not willing to share a drink or a meal with? Mm-hmm. You're not coming at that conversation from the right place. Like yeah. If yeah. you're unwilling to even be in that yeah. place with them, right. You're coming at it from a, a stance that is not going to be effective. Right? Yeah, and when you were saying that we do these uh, tabled events, you know, mm-hmm. the sharing like that uh, so frequently as humans, that's true when it's us, but mm-hmm. with them, we don't. Mm-hmm. And so 
one very conscious way to step into the us is to share a table or yes. you know a, a meal or a yeah. drink or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it just reinforces that the context matches the mm-hmm. intention of the meeting, and mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's just beautiful. Yeah. When we were kind of outlining this episode, Melissa, you brought up some really powerful words that I love: invitation, mm-hmm. compassion, mm-hmm. inspiration. Yeah, that word invitation. Um, I think, you know, Brene, she talks about that quite a bit. And it's the opposite of that picture of shame as the knife in the back. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea of invitation is that if you want to move someone to a different place than they currently are, rather than pushing from behind, stand in front and beckon forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not going to put my hands on them and bodily move them to where I want them to be or cause pain in the process, but I am in a constant state of welcoming them yeah. towards where I am. And to me, that's a, a visual representation of the stance of you know how we want to be in those conversations or even with ourselves. Right when totally. we're when we're having those internal conversations using invitational language, would you like to? What would it feel like if you did this instead? Would you like to experiment with X Y Z? Right, all of that yeah. is very invitational, welcoming choices. choices. Yes, there's yeah. there's empowerment and power instilled in all of that, and so I think that uh, besides that connection piece, that next piece of using invitational language is really powerful. Okay. Mm-hmm. Any other final thoughts on this? I feel like this is. I think is I do so... want to talk a little bit. Uh, sorry, just about inspiration. Um, yeah. That word to me, and it probably is my own bias, just because that is such an opening word. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the creativity and curiosity. Mm-hmm. But I think it could be a really salient kind of bow. Right. For the conversation. Yeah. Just to be super nerdy for just a second, Please if you do. haven't thought about the word inspiration. To inspire literally means like to breathe in and breath is life. And so to inspire is to breathe life into something, Mm -hmm. breathe life into another person. And so when we're having conversations, we're looking for life giving ways of communicating and shame is death giving. Like, I think we can feel that in our body. It literally feels Mm -hmm. like death. It It feels heavy. It breathes death. And so... Um, when we're talking uh, in whatever context, looking for life-giving language. And I think as therapists, we do this really naturally. We're always looking for life-giving, hope-filled language. Mm -hmm. And so as far as, you know, the content of your conversations, at any point that you can breathe life and breathe hope and breathe love into what's being said on either side, um, that is a huge, huge help. And a lot of that has to do with compassion-based language, um, empathetic language. And as therapists, we do that a lot, but coaching your clients as well on how to do that uh, for themselves and for the people they're talking to is wonderful. Yeah. To me, um, inspiration is the goal. Mm-hmm. Change is, comes out of it. Right. Yeah. I agree. Beautifully put. Mm-hmm. I hope all of this for you guys that are listening is something that you can take and apply to what we're facing in our culture right now. But also, as I mentioned before, just broaden that and apply it across the board with your clients and your own lives as far as what shame does. Um, and how we move past that and find a different power. So thank you guys for listening. I hope something here you can take into your practice and it will help you help your clients. Before we close, we want to just mention um, we are back to doing retreats. We were really talking a lot about them before (laughs) 
put a big pause on that, as you can, I'm sure, all imagine why. So, <laughs> pandemic, yeah. <laughs> right, that small thing going on. But we are back to you just being very cautious and careful and um, still trying to keep a safe environment, but are open to doing retreats again. And for those of you who might be new listeners that don't know what those are, we do um, therapy retreats where it's three to five days. People will come and stay in a lovely space that we have that just really separates you from the outside world and allows you to focus in on what's been going on in your life and, and maybe the hangups that you've been struggling with. We really um, focus in on EMDR therapy and processing through that as well as body-based work. So we have a massage therapist, um, yoga therapist, we do some art therapy, neurofeedback's an option, a lot of just a, just different holistic approaches. So if you are interested in this or have a client who may be interested in this, please send them to our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com. They can click on retreats and it will give them a lot more information there. So thank you guys again for listening in and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks guys. Thanks for listening to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. We hope something you've heard today will help you help your clients. Find our latest episode and more on our Facebook page or on our website, emdr-podcast.com. And don't forget to add us to your RSS feed or follow us on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher so that you don't miss an episode. Please email questions and comments to noticethat at emdr-podcast.com. From all of us here at Notice That, see you next time.